Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times, now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. This is our second podcast of the season, but it's my first because I've been away, as you know, and I've left you in the capable hands of Alison Rudd, who I'm delighted to say joins us today, and also, of course, Rory K. Smith, who does not join us today because uh, he's off on holiday, I believe. Also with us, and far more important, is James Scowcroft. I expect him at some point to talk to me about Mr. Aaron Cresswell, because he's over in your, he was over in your neck of the woods. I'd never seen this dude. He was really, really good, I thought, for uh, West Ham against Spurs. But we'll get to all that, because first, we need to have a Premier League review, and where better place to start than at the Theatre of Dreams, Manchester United, and... Swansea. This one played in towards Ratledge, who slipped, and here's Sigurdsson! And Swansea have the lead at Old Trafford for the second time. Barely a flicker of emotion on the face of Louis van Gaal. But unconfined joy here for Swansea, who can see a win. Uh, James, I don't think I'm outing you to suggest that you have a certain simpatico for uh, United. I, I No doubt you were excited for Louis van Gaal. Preseason, things look good. Then they play a real team in a real competition, and wheels come off. Well, were they ever on? Oh, them's fighting words. Listen, first of all, preseason is an important part of the season. It's important for players. I'm sure it's important for the manager. But there's no league tables or any trophies of any significance given out in pre-season is there I think as Manchester United fans have been promised this £200 million war chest we're going to buy that we've never seen before this etc it still could happen I personally can't see it myself but if you look at the bigger picture the squad is actually weaker now than what it was at the end of last season Vidic has gone Rio Ferdinand's gone Ryan Giggs has gone key key players Patrick Everett Patrice Everett has gone and in has come Luke Shaw, who I'm sure one day will be a very, very good signing, but he's still young, still very sort of un, untried. He's, really. He hasn't played. Exactly. Hernandez Herrera from Bilbao. I just, you know, if they don't go to Barcelona or Real Madrid, you sort of tend to worry, are they, you know, that good? I don't know. Time will tell. But the David Silva is, thanks you for that, by the way. I'm sure he does. <laughs> but the bigger picture is Manchester United are weaker than what they were at the end of last season when they finished seventh. So, 
you know, nothing's going to change. If it, but isn't it, James, isn't it criminal? I think it's criminal that someone like Vidic, who uh, one of one of the best defenders to grace the Premier League in many respects, certainly when he was at his peak, he gave he gave nine months notice that he was going to leave, and nobody at Old Trafford thought we're going to have to really seriously think about our defence. It's ageing, and our best players told us he's going. And what, it's not like this has suddenly happened that you woke up one morning and thought. Oh, the squad's weaker now than it was a year ago. We knew it was going to be. Well, the, the biggest problem is now, Alison, you're now seeing three managers in the last 14, 15 months. And I think, you know, David Moyes, well, you'd like to think David Moyes would have had targets that he would have followed through this summer. But obviously David Moyes goes, Louis van Gaal comes in, and they have to start all over again. But these are, these are, these are targets that, tra- that transcend exactly. the manager. Exactly. I mean, because you... I buy your argument to a point, or, or not your argument, but your hypothetical defense of, of managers changing obviously doesn't help, but Ander Herrera and Luke Shaw, it's not like they waited to appoint Van Hal and Van Hal then said, I want Luke Shaw and Ander Herrera. They, presumably Ander Herrera was a club target a year ago, Luke Shaw equally so, since they, they basically locked him up at the start of the World Cup. Well, I think obviously those two targets were done before. Louis Van Gaal way before, and Louis I think Van that's Gaal. what Alison's saying I mean, that they could have they, they could have got. But the biggest problem is well. the biggest problem is Louis Van Gaal is going to play a totally different system. We think, although he changed it second half, than what David Moyes does. And when you play three at the back, you need a totally different centre defender than when you play four at the back. It would have been ideal for one of Ferdinand or Vidic to play in that middle of the three, just sweeping up, reading the game, not really man-to-man marking. So they've lost what would have been an ideal top-class centre half at their age to play in that position, but. Here's here's what I don't understand. Maybe Allison, you can help me. Louis Fenhaus had a 35 year career. He's he's had some tremendous success. He's had some some awful failures as well. But one constant has been he's always played his version of four three three, occasionally four two three one. He's it, it, it's a system that he's generally believed in. Now he's had his own tweaks. I don't take on it because he's a clever guy, as we saw at the Euros. Uh, sorry, at the World Cup. He can play different systems and he can change it around and, and so on because he knows his tactics. But when you've always played 4-3-3 and United are used to a back four, what do you think possessed him to come in and change it to three at the back? Well, we saw what possessed him by what happened in the second half when he went to four at the back and he was playing fullbacks that aren't fullbacks. He presumably knew what he had and thought, given the sparsity of resources I think probably three at the back will work better I know he dumped it because they were playing so poorly uh, but if he'd started with the four that he started with in the second half everyone would have said that's that's a weird system given the you know Ashley Young is not an effective defender he's played three at the back for most of of, of pre-season James and I can see the logic with playing three at the back if it's the, the philosophy you're thinking or, or, or maybe as a way to cram an extra outstanding player into the side. Um, you know, if you looked at Saturday's you know, game... Sorry, but before, before we get to that, I, I, can you just explain this to me? Because is it, you've got an extreme shortage at centre-back, right? Because you have Johnny Evans who's hurt and was hurt much of last season. Uh, you have Smalling and Jones who've kind of split their time between centre-back and right-back. You've had to play Tyler Blackett Michael Keane, you know, guys with, who have played as many Premier League minutes uh, as Allison had but before this season. Why would you choose to do this without bringing in, bringing in new players? That's what I don't understand. Why, why, why are you rejecting my theory that he just simply thought it was the best system for a poor lineup in defence? 
I'm, I'm not necessarily rejecting it, but I'm saying is he obviously thought it was the best system, otherwise he wouldn't have done it. But why would he think it's the best system? I think, I think if you look at it, Gab, I think probably the worst thing that's happened to them, they've had a fantastic pre-season. I think if they'd have had poor results in pre-season, all of a sudden the panic button would have been pressed and I think signings would have been in by now. But, you know, and rightly so, you know, they had some stunning results in, in America. But I think Saturday is a massive wake-up call. A real not, not only the defeat, but if you actually watch the way they played, that it, it was identical to what last season was: low tempo, lack of pace, lack of just so of what Manchester United just doesn't stand for. You know, I was watching playing Swansea at home, and no disrespect for Swansea, but they're letting Swansea have the ball. Let's drop off, let them have the ball at the back. You know, this is Manchester United at home, at as you say, the theatre of dreams. Alison, I, I was struck by by something Van Hal post game, and, and I knew he was like this, but. I, I was wonderfully refreshed. I, I wrote about it in, in a column as well, which was that he kind of did everything that managers are not supposed to do when speaking to the media and to the fans afterwards, right? After you lose a game, you're supposed to look for excuses, and he could have looked at the fact that, you know, they had Tyler Blackett and Jesse Lingard starting and, and Rooney, you know, hit the woodwork, so really they could have won the game. Uh, he, You should have said that, we're, no, we're still full of confidence, we believe in ourselves. Instead he says, like, no, this is... This smashed our confidence I, he's come out and he said things which which may be true and which he believes in but he's just so unafraid he does not follow the boring coach speak manual at all and I get the sense that he doesn't even do it to be manipulative the way one other manager I can think of might do it he just does it because this, it's what he believes yeah it also helps keep going the idea that he's a man with a special aura or he's, he's He's of a higher calibre than most managers in the Premier League. I, I think I think he knows he's being different. I don't think he's being per- deliberately perverse, but I think he knows he's different. I think he's and being I think, clever. I think he wants to keep that going, that almost he can ride quite a few disappointing results. If do, he's, do he's offering find, the promise of something yeah, you special know, You've been a journalist, you're an experienced journalist. Do you think it's very hard to criticise someone who's being honest? No, I think no. I think it'll maintain. There's a lot of goodwill towards his. But stature. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think he looks down at everybody, and I think a journalist will come along and he'll say, "Don't give a monkey's what you think." Here you are. This is what, and just doesn't care. But doesn't. He might not care what the journalists think, but at some point, I think obviously, and, and the reason it surprised it surprised me a little bit that he spoke the way he did is because obviously, you know, what he says goes back through to to the players, and one thing in particular, and again, wonderfully honest, they asked them whether. They're good enough at the back to to go and, and compete for, for the title. Uh, and, and he said something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was something like, no, but I knew that before the game, we need to get somebody else in. Have you, A, have you ever been that way in, in, in that situation? And he's not necessarily speaking about you, but speaking about your department. And B, again, isn't it unusual to say that? Because if I'm a club that wants to sell a player to United, now I know that they're desperate. Yeah. If I'm Blackett uh, or, or, or Smalling, I might be thinking, well, is he talking about me? Am I the problem? Well, I think the thing Manchester United have now is if, if, some, if Manchester United ring a club up or they speak to an agent, the price goes up by 25% because you know they're desperate. You know, I think that's a, what you have to remember about Louis van Gaal. He's actually in a position of strength. Yeah, if, it, if this would have been 12 months ago, taken over from Sir Alex Ferguson, who's just won the league and absolutely cruised the league with a very average side, maybe he would have talked differently. Maybe people would have thought, well, hold on a minute. But he's not. He's coming now and it's, oh, God, you know, this is the saviour. This is He can say what he wants, he can do, and we all believe him. You know, time might change that. But he is in a very strong, strong position, isn't he, going back on what happened last season. You know, he can say, well, you know, I've inherited a poor side, I've done this, this, that and the other. So I think at the moment he can get away with it. We can't lose sight of the fact, I think, that Swansea actually played 
played very well, in my opinion. I thought they looked good. I, I thought they were organized on the pitch. I thought they held the ball when they need to. I thought they counterattacked well afterwards. I'm impressed with Monk, partly because I didn't think I was going to be. I was a big Loudrup fan. Very depressed when he left. And I just thought... Monk won't be able to keep that style of play going and feel that he doesn't have to impose something of himself on the team. He'll muck it up in some way. But what he's done is, the, for a club like the size of Swansea and the resources it has, he's done the perfect thing. He's taken everything that was good about the way Michael Laudrup wants to play and all he's done is improve um, fitness and intensity and a bit of discipline. They were the things that were supposedly lacking. So now you've just what you've actually got is probably a Swansea team that are just slightly more efficient and concentrated than they perhaps were overall under Loudrup. He doesn't seem to have that sort of ridiculous ego where he feels it's necessary, Monk, to stamp his own personality on the team. He's he's, he's really making it feel like a Swansea team, and that you know bringing back players that were there before. He's not afraid to do that. That 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 is quite a brave thing to do because. You know, it could just look deeply conservative and unimaginative if it went wrong. But what he's doing is saying, we have a style and I'm going to stick with the style. I'm just going to make sure we're a bit fitter and a bit more concentrated. I don't think you can ask any more from him, especially as he's his first proper job. It, it, to me, James, it kind of looks like Brendan Rogers Swansea more than Loudrup Swansea. This is an excellent model of a club that just stick to a system, stick to a philosophy, and it's very easy for each manager to come in and just take on that philosophy and build. You know, we're talking about Manchester United just gone from one extreme to another, where Swansea come in and play the same style, the same system. They appoint a manager who buys into that system, buys into that philosophy. All the players know what they're doing. They buy players to play enough, and I just think it's very, very easy. It's an easy club to manage and to take on that system and style I think they've done tremendously well Swansea as a club to, to build and and to achieve what they've achieved really I, I, it might be a difficult season you know it's a wonderful result for them I thought they deserved it as well I thought they played exceptionally well um, might be a little bit of a, a challenging season for them but I think as a club they've done exceptionally well you know if you go through the manager Brendan Rodgers Roberto Martinez Michael um, Laudrop now Gary Monk just come on in it's just a natural progression way by Wanyama initially not very far away and Sturridge is there Liverpool lead again relief around Anfield as Daniel Sturridge makes it 2-1 now Anfield Liverpool and Southampton I was kind of excited to see what would happen post Luis Suarez in a, in, in a real game uh, I was curious whether he'd, he'd basically just play the, the two central midfielders and and sort of a, a more free-flowing front floor. Obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, you had Henderson and Lucas in there alongside Steven Gerrard. But Liverpool looked a little bit flat, Alisson, despite taking the lead through your pal Raheem Sterling. They didn't go and score two, three, four, five. Yeah, no, it, was, it felt like a bit of a watered-down version of last season. What tended to happen last season was Liverpool would get at opponents for the first 25 or so minutes. Incredible pace and intensity and often a team never quite recovered from that onslaught and the strange thing is Liverpool did do that without Suarez in the team sometimes it's not as if they couldn't do it without him but maybe the fact that he's he has gone um, that they did it they did it again but for some reason they did it at half half their normal pace so there was that opening 20 minutes or so where they were pressing and going for it but it, 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 just, it just lacked that pizzazz that they'd had last season. And I assume there's a, there's a, there was an 
in the lineup and the way they approached the game, there was a sort of sense of conservatism about it. A slight worry that they didn't have all the key components in place to play the same way as last season. No, I, strange. I, it, but just fe- it, it felt diluted. I needed to, 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 to figure this out because I, obviously, if you lose a guy like Luis Suarez, one of the best players in the world, then you need to go and adjust. Now, when they lost him, they went and they spent a large amount of money. But that money wasn't spent on a replacement for Luis Suarez, which is why I find it kind of interesting. I mean, last night I was watching Match of the Day too, and I heard somebody say, well, you know, they definitely need another striker to replace Suarez and whatever. I'm assuming here, and help me if, if, if I'm wrong here, uh, James, that Brendan Rodgers looked at it. Brendan Rodgers had often played systems with just lone strikers in the past before Sturridge came in and, and played so well that he basically forced to play him alongside Suarez, that he thought, all right, you know what, I'm not going to... You know, if I bring in another striker, it's going to be a guy off the bench or a squad player. I'm going to make Sturridge my lone striker, and I'm going to surround him with attacking midfielder, deep-line strikers, winger types. He signed Lalana, he signed Markovic, who certainly uh, fit that, that bill. He's got Coutinho, he's got Sterling there. Surely that was what he was trying to do, and what we're seeing is that simply this was the first competitive match for a one-striker Liverpool, which is a necessary transition that Rodgers wants and, and sees, right? I think what you find is, you know, we're saying, oh, Liverpool are flat, you know, this team are flat, they didn't perform, or this team looked good. I think a couple of things. Players probably aren't at their maximum fitness levels this time of the season. I think it takes maybe till September to get really fully fit and, and, and get going. Players all over the place, especially after a World Cup. Some players have had a, a seven, eight-week pre-season. Some players have had two or three weeks. They haven't played a lot of games, i.e. together, as much as what they would have liked to have done. So I think certainly from a Liverpool point, it's going to take them time to, you know, looking at Brendan Rodgers, he might change it every week. You know, he's been he's done that in the past. You know, he's played different formations. I think he'll do it this season. And I think it'll take him a little while just to find out what is actually going to be his strongest eleven. Yeah, it, might, it, might, it might just, yeah, you're right, it, James. It might just be that because Liverpool are going to have a much more demanding season than last time yeah. they can't play with that sort of intensity yeah. they've got to They'll have to change eat it. So it out a bit Suarez is a massive blow for them massive massive blow you know he gave them real energy and you know fantastic quality when they needed it but if they sold Suarez for a lot of money and they spent a lot more money than they got back for Suarez surely they'll be better overall isn't that kind of the way the basic economics works or no. should work you know the Gareth Bale Tottenham scenario is a classic example that doesn't always work does it you know, one player. I think if you if you look at world class teams, and if you, if you sorry, I don't always talk about Manchester. If you look at Manchester United, teams always have the three or four top top players who win and you know can take them to where they want to be, and the rest of the team is sort of filled in with players who are regular, can do a real good job. But it's those elite players that win trophies for teams. And when you take an elite player out of a team and maybe you don't quite replace him with another elite player, then you are weakened, even even if you have seven, eight new additions. You know, it's those elite players in teams that will take you. It was Suarez, it was Sturridge that nearly won Liverpool the league last year. Alison, are you buying what he's saying? I mean, don't you think if you're Brendan, you actually think, OK, but I have Sterling who can become an elite player. He's not that far off uh, that level. I, I have Lovren, who I think is already an elite player, otherwise I wouldn't have paid all this money for him. I have Lalana who can get there. And I'm kind of making elite players. Isn't that what Rodgers is sort of trying to do? Yeah. Well, there are only two ways of responding to losing someone like Suarez, and that is to try and find someone as good, if not better. 
or to spread your money and have faith in your managerial abilities and your team and who's coming through the ranks and go in that direction and also I suspect Rogers doesn't like the idea that everything that was good about Liverpool was seen to be down to one player that's not the way he it was down operates. to one manager not one player yeah that's the way he'd rather it was and I think if you're like that then you would that's how you're going to respond to the one player going is you're going to say the manager can solve this problem with some astute purchases yeah, there's a saying in football, and I think there is an element of truth in it. You're only as good as your front players. Who Talk- says that? What's there's the a lot of people. Who says that? There's a lot of people say that you're only as good. A lot of managers and coaches will say Did that. Did you walk into dressing rooms and say, huh, they're only as good as me? Well, if you look at Barcelona, for example, <laughs> Barcelona, well, or as bad as me, Barcelona played a wonderful style of football and had some great players, but they had a lad up front who nearly scored 70 goals a season in Messi. You know, if you look at Suarez's goals to game ratio absolutely superb for Liverpool not only that if you look at his range of goals he scored three four five yards out but he could also score from 30 40 yards just just every goal possible he was capable of scoring now we need to talk Southampton okay because everybody was so so negative um the fact they sold all their players they lost Pochettino but they looked I thought really really good I had a chance to speak to our boss Tony Evans who was so excited about Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Oh, Schneiderlin's performance in, a, in sort of a sad way because obviously I think his Liverpool uh, allegiances are, are, are obvious. Tadic, that fantastic back heel. There, the, 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 there's life, right? There is there's life. There is life. And why wouldn't there be? Ronald Koeman, one of the greats of modern football. Stop it, stop it. Don't make fun of Koeman. I love him, I love him. And I'm really glad that they played so well. And they played for him. That there was this idea that because they'd been dissected, it was just a mess and they'd had a horrible summer. And he'd come in and all he was greeted with was yet more players talking about the fact that they had the right to leave. That's horrible. That's just a horrible way to take over a club in a new country and and somehow 
they were able to bury their disagreements and their doubts. And uh, once they got going, and they started tentatively, and I did think it might, they might be crushed actually, but they, once they got going, they, they played some very attractive, as attractive as they were playing under Pochettino at his best. They haven't got any decent strikers, really, so they couldn't finish it much off. But you dissing my boy, no, Graziano Pelé. His name's Pelé, man. They were new. They were new. They were getting. I mean, they, they was asking a lot for for, 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 the, for the for the forward line to do anything. But I think, given all the factors involved, some of the the attractiveness of what they played and the the idea that the system worked, their one-touch football, their confidence in it, was it was quite joyous, actually. Southampton to stay up. Yes. Scully? Yes. Definitely? Yeah, I think they will do, yeah. Only just. Speaking of staying up in our debate this week, obviously we're going to look at Crystal Palace. Tony Pulis walking out on the eve of the season. I want to say totally unprecedented, but obviously it isn't because your your, your god, Martin O'Neill, did the same thing, Allison, a few years ago. I, I, I just find this extraordinary. We're going to look forward to who might be appointed. Uh, we are taping this Monday morning. I suspect James already has a has an, an inkling of who it might be because it's you, right? <laughs> no, no, you, you, you can't tell us. He's Tracks. looking very Minions modest. Of double act. <laughs> but again, I want to go back and understand this because I know, I've never met Steve Parrish. I'm assuming you have, Allison. No, I've not met him much. No, no. okay. People who I really like and respect have met this guy. Have you met him, James? I have, yes. Okay, good. People who I like and respect, uh, and, and I respect their opinion, tell me that not only is he a good person, which is rare in football, but he's also a clever guy. And yet, let me just quickly recap all the moves that he's made that I really don't understand. You have Ian Holloway as your manager. He plays a certain brand of football. You decide to let him go. Fair enough. You replace him with a guy who may be Ian Holloway's best friend, but also plays a completely different brand of football. It works out for you. You stay up. By the way, this guy you replaced him with, Tony Pulis, is somebody who happens to be, as we said, really tight with Holloway and so therefore is privy to all your inner workings at the club, which is something that might you know, give you cause for concern a little bit when you hire somebody. Tony Pulis is, likes to have had a director of football, Rudge, I believe, at Stoke, um, who worked under him. Here you hire somebody, uh, this, this Ian Moody character, the man who, of course, apologized to Vincent Tan for some of the things that, Car- that happened at Cardiff, the man who signed Cornelius for seven and a half million pounds. You bring him in to be his head of recruitment, ostensibly above Pulis or alongside Pulis, whatever the case is, Pulis not in charge. And then your things fall apart and Pulis walks out on you in the start of, uh, at the start of the season. I don't understand any of these moves. And it seems to me that this speaks to a deep personal failure on the part of Parrish. A- am I wrong? Well, you, oh, And there's one big mistake you missed out, Gab, which was that he allowed Holloway to sign player after player after player of very low quality with no plan at all so that they didn't well, know where to... They didn't have room in the dressing room for They didn't know where to put them. They ran out of cup, ran out of cup I'm of sure space. Holloway had a plan. No, he didn't. He admitted he didn't, and that's why he left. Stop. Don't pick on Ollie, please. James. Right, where do we start? I'm wrong. Um, first of all, he didn't... I suppose he did allow Holloway to. It was. I think he tried to uh, keep Ian Holloway, but I think it was Holloway that actually held his hands up and so he didn't think he was up to the job and moved on. I think Ian Moody came in just before they appointed Tony Pulis. I think I'm right on that. Tony Pulis is his own man, and I think what a lot of chairmen do these days, they will have a chief scout who will work probably alongside the manager, but alongside him as well. So he will, you know, inform. So if I'm appointing these people, I have the to know that what's going on, but I, who's around. So sorry. So if I'm if I'm going to have this kind of setup, 
I have to know ahead of hand ahead of time that these two people are comfortable with this arrangement and that they can work well together, right? I have to be a judge of character. You have to know that Pulis respects Moody and Moody respects Pulis and they respect each other's roles and they can work together, right? It's exactly. part of my job. But, but listen, Tony Pulis is his own man. I don't think Tony Pulis is somebody that will think, right, I've got to scale the world here and do this, that and the other. I think he goes with a, a mo- I think he's a wonderful motivator. He did an amazing job last year at Crystal Palace, but he's somebody that will go for experienced premiership players, people that he knows, people that he will know will come in and uh, I think right. I think he calls them solid citizens. Won't let him down. So, you know, working with a director of football, this, that, and the other, I think he'll listen to him. But that's about as much as what he will do. Right. So, but I, I'm not again. I'm not criticizing Pulis or indeed Moody here. Although, I, well, one day maybe we'll get some answers. But in the meantime, Parrish is the guy who's responsible, right? I, I don't. I don't understand. For in, what? In, in light, Parrish is spending. What are, holding, what are you holding him accountable for? I'm holding him, uh, I guess I'm holding him accountable for the fact that if part of the reason Parrish, uh, sorry, part of the reason Pulis and Moody didn't work out working together. Who has actually club, said that Pulis and Moody didn't work out? Well, Parrish. Parrish himself came out and said the situation, you know, wasn't working out. And, uh, and so by mutual consent, Pulis left and, and, and we let him go and, and we'll find another manager. I mean, if it was working great, Pulis presumably would have stayed, right? It's not as if he was sacked. It was a mutual consent job. Well, uh, you know, as an owner, he has given his manager a club record transfer budget to work with. You know, I think they were going to increase the wage bill by a good 25 30%. Mm-hmm. So there's only so much you can do sometimes. You know, you've got to leave it up to the manager and say, well, this is how much we're going to spend. So why did 20, the manager 30 leave? million. I think he wants to go on to pastures new. Okay, so you appointed the wrong guy. No, well, no, I think you have to give the right guy because he, because he kept <laughs> At up. some yeah. point, Parrish is to take responsibility, right? I, I don't, I just, I, I, I don't, don't understand do, what he's done wrong. So he's appointed somebody right. who's done an absolute miracle in keeping them up, but and he said on match of the day, at and the he weekend, walks out at the start of the, the day. His heart before wasn't him. quite in it. I need people who are committed to the club, right. and it takes you all summer long to figure that out. If, if, if that's the re- if, sorry, I'm sorry. If, if that's the reason, if the reason is that. If Pulis is gone because he wants to go somewhere else to a bigger, better club, if, 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 if this is part of the, the rationale why, why Pulis is gone, then again, as Pulis' boss at the, at the end of the season, you would have expected Parrish to be like, hey, Tony, are you going to stick around next year? Can I judge your character and see that you're committed or not? And if you don't think he's committed, then you let him go on, on May 31st. You say, thank you very much. You kept us up. Here's a big bonus for, for, for keeping us up. And see you later. You don't leave the guy in charge for, for two and a half months, signs his all his own guys, and then he walks out at the start of the season, right? Well, I think, I'm sure there was a discussion at the end of the season that this is what we're going to go for, X, Y, and Z, this is the money, blah, blah, blah. And it didn't happen. Whose fault that is, we probably will never know. No, but nobody <laughs> likes to believe of themselves that they're difficult to work with. Parrish did a brilliant job in convincing Pulis. Pulis did not want the Palace job when it was offered to him when Holloway left. And he said... He didn't, it, it, it's not, you know, Pulis is not publicly going to say, I don't really think I can get on with Parrish. But essentially what he did say was, I, I, he's not the sort of bloke I can talk football to. He's a different generation. He has different ideas. Pulis has this big thing that he had such a wonderful chairman at Stoke um, in Coates that he, he, he compares everybody. 
unbelievable pot yeah, of money and he to know, spend. He, know, he knows. It was like the third or fourth highest. And he was spend. he was a father figure to him. He was he loved working with him, and he he knows. He's that admitted. I'm Pulisic said, I know it's ridiculous. I can't expect that relationship at another club. Are but you, but going to Crystal Palace, it's almost the opposite. It was always going to be very difficult. Parish thinks I've managed to managed to get over the obstacle. I've managed to convince Pulis that he can work with us as a club. It turns out Parrish did exactly the right thing. Pulis, they stay up with bells on. He's manager of the season and they even play some attractive and exciting football. But the underlying lack of... uh, It's not about trust so much as just having different philosophies and approaches to the game. Pulis not feeling very comfortable with the relationship. As soon as it falls down over transfer targets, as James says, Pulis is very keen on picking from other clubs established players who he knows can do the job. There's no fitting them in and and it's a risk. You just know what they can do. He just thinks this. Um, I, I've never gone down. I've never. I've never been relegated. It's going to go wrong if I don't have a back, the backing of the type of team I want. Which is what happened to me at Stoke. It's not going to be the same. It's entirely unprofessional. It was entirely unprofessional when Martin O'Neill did it. But at least Martin O'Neill had given had, had given Villa what three, four years of doing things his way. But what? what, what but if if, if, you're, if 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 by saying that you're saying that Pulis is being unprofessional, and, and you can make that point about you know, is Martin Kelly goes there to play for Tony Pulis, right? Uh, three days before, right? How must he feel, for example, right? But what I'm saying is, this is Tony Pulis, and Parrish is his boss, and they've worked together for nigh on eight months, and presumably he did it, or even longer than that, and and, and presumably he did his homework. At some point, when you hire a guy and the guy behaves in an unprofessional way, if that's what you want to call it, then at some point you're responsible for it, right? He's responsible in that he knew. You are right, Gab. He knew they didn't really get on. But maybe you know, he didn't want to know that. No, he did the I'm, I'm right thing to hire him. He did the I right think thing Steve to hire Parrish. him. Has given his manager the you know and, and he's a good manager. I'm sure he wants to keep him. I think if you have Tony Pulis in your Scott, you're guaranteed to stay up. I, I just don't think I think he's ever had a, a relegation on his CV. I don't think he ever will do. You know he will always get his team over that finish line. They finished eleventh last season. I think Tony Pulis looked at it and think I've done the maximum in my first six months that I'll ever do at this football club. You know, financially, I'm sure the guy's very very right. well off, etc. I'm sure if you look at every club now maybe outside the top five or six you know he could walk into any job you know any team that's struggling next season they can be look managers can be looking over their shoulder and thinking where's tony pulis doesn't it doesn't it boil down to the fact that pulis executed a miracle last season and for some reason parish thought this season a miracle was not required and pulis was saying yes it is and you have to back me in that sense and give me a bonus for keeping you up and give me money to well, make the miracle happen. The bonus part and of Parrish is thinking, no, 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 we were 11th, it's fine, we don't need to, we don't need to throw right, everything what, at it what, this time. What, what, whatever the case may be, and, and they did spend some money but, this but summer, look, listen, it's still a breakdown of, of, of a boss and judging his employee. This is a football club that four years ago was in administration and have done remarkably well now to get to where they are you know, and they've got a solid foundation now. They've, they've, they've been a bit of a yo-yo club in the Premier League. This is the first time that they've been in the Premier League and they've stayed up. So they've got a platform now. Are you going to risk, are you going to go and buy, and I'm not going to mention names, 31, 32-year-old English players that have no, 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 no transfer no. value at all, give them really high wages. <laughs> James, James, I, listen, you're, you're, you're... And if we do get relegated, we are absolutely to, stuck. You don't need to convince me of this, okay? I, I'm not a Tony... I, I'm sure Tony Pulis is... A, people know him well, so he's a very good person. I love Ian Holloway. Ian Holloway loves Tony Pulis. So, 
by the transitive property, I ought to love Tony Pulis as a person too. As a football manager, I don't think he's good. I would not want him at his club. I don't care that he finished 11th last season. You know, right, he did very well there. But his track record at Stoke, in addition to playing horrid football, suggests that he spends enormous amounts of money and he signs exactly the kind of players that, that you signed, that, that, that you just talked about, right? P- people who have no sell-on value and they're completely wrong for the club. I, I'm not making that argument, but what I'm saying is, in light of all this, who hired him? Who kept him around after he kept the club up? Steve Parrish, right? I'm sure there's 92 league clubs where the manager and the, the chairman or the chief executive or, or got to fall out and, and don't get on. You know, it's, football's a, a ruthless business. You know, it's not for the faint-hearted. I can't see a lot that Steve Parrish has done I wrong. I think people need to take responsibility yeah, and Listen, I'm not criticising. T- Tony Pulis is a phenomenal manager. If I'm, you know, I see all these foreign managers come in. I, I don't understand why he's not higher up. You know, maybe because he played Tottenham at Stoke for a long time and he got yeah, branded. Crystal Palace played some good. If you'd have watched Crystal Palace last year, they actually played some really good football. Nevertheless, Parrish now has to appoint a new manager. I, I believe he said that's his intention rather than keeping Keith Millen around. Two names in the driving seat. By the time this goes out, uh, we may have our answer, but I think the bookies are talking Malky Mackay, presumably because of Ian Moody. And um, of course, tiny Tim Sherwood. Allison, any sense of which way this is going to go? Well, Mal- Malky Mackay is the favourite. Mainly because of the moody uh, connection. He knows. Wouldn't that be reason enough not to hire him? They get on. What do you think will happen, James? They have to appoint quickly. Um, if you listen to Steve Parrish at the weekend, they want experience from the Premier League. So, you know, Malky, what did he do? Four or five months in the Premier League? Tim Sherwood, the same. I believe it's between the two of them. I don't actually know that. We could find out. It's someone totally different. My gut feeling says Tim Sherwood. Now, time for the part of the show that everybody missed in the past. I've had thousands of requests and complaints about the fact that we didn't do this over the summer when somebody else was in charge of the podcast. Uh, Don't worry. Quick Hits will be a part of the podcast forever, ad infinitum. But we will be more disciplined. You must provide an answer in 20 seconds. But why are the questions 80 seconds long? It doesn't matter because you have to explain the questions. Eric Dyer scores the late, late winner of Spurs. Somehow take all three points against West Ham. He's also classic nature versus nurture case. Ten-year-old English kid moves to Portugal, comes through Sporting Lisbon's academy, comes back with a rep as someone who's skillful but somewhat soft defensively, at least according to Phil Neville. James? He's 20 years old, Gab. I'm not quite sure why people think people who are 20 years old has come from Portugal into the Premier League are going to be play like Stuart Pearce did in his prime for Nottingham Forest. I think he's a... Uh, a good signing, scored a wonderful goal, great run from right back, wonderful win for Tottenham, and um, I think he's a good signing, the boy, one for the future. West Brom and Sunderland share the spoils in a rip-roaring 2-2 contest. Allison, are you more excited about Saido Berrino, who bagged two goals, or would you like to hammer the ref for awarding the baggies the softest of penalties when an Achibi collapsed like a sack of sh- spuds? Yeah, it was a very soft penalty. Berrino, he that's the exciting bit, because... He looked like he was going to be a bit of a superstar. Then he got into trouble. There was a dressing room bust up with James Morrison. And people in the game were saying, uh, you know, he's, he's, he, he lacks discipline. And the idea that he might make it into the, um, the England team looked like it was diminishing. Suddenly he looks like one of the most exciting English strikers. Arsenal huff and puff in their opener, but net the three points thanks to Aaron Ramsey's late goal. James, you were there. Their passing was all over the place, and they got their goal in set pieces. Is this a different Arsenal? No, not at all. Crystal Palace are a very difficult side to play against. They would do that to a lot of teams, and I think Arsenal have got a player in Aaron Ramsey who can go on and on and become a top, top player. He's already a top player, but I think he'll become a world-class player. 
new season, old Jose. He noted that, quote, some managers have 10 years to win something. Can't imagine who he wins there, uh, Arsene Wenger. And others benefit from the work of managers before him. Jose, unlike him, doesn't like to arrive in time to collect the fruits off the trees. Again, no clue who he's referring to there, Manuel Pellegrini. Alison, uh, is this funny or, or out of line or just a little bit sad? Well, he's accurate. He's identified Arsenal and City as the two teams he needs to play mind games with. They are the two teams he does need to do that with. It's not particularly funny. He can say what he likes, can't he? And what he tends to do is he says these things and the media, they'll laugh and they'll just sort of mutter silent thanks for giving them a great line to to write a story around it's it would be nice if if people just didn't take these lines and think whoa they're so fantastic and hilarious and point to him being the special one still still aren't we lucky it, it it's it's a bit jaded is, is what i'd say Everton grab a point at the King Power Stadium. I love saying that. Thanks to two screamers from Naismith and McGeady. Uh, James, they spent very, very, very big to bring back Lukaku. Wise move? Very wise. I think he um, was... Even at that price? Yeah. yeah, I I think it's a going rate this day in age gap, unfortunately. I think he's a great signing. I think he did exceptionally well. You know, going back to uh, your centre forwards, I think Everton play a great passing game, but you need a focal point up front. I think he'll give them that. I'm surprised Chelsea have let him go, but very good signing. Manchester City went away to Newcastle, but it's far from easy. Alisson, should we marvel at City's ability to grind it out? Or maybe be just a tiny bit concerned? No, I I was impressed with City um, because they did that classic thing of not playing particularly well, but I always felt they would win. And Silva, when he plays, he wins, and he is a star. And Aguero's composure in the late goal was, oh, it was a joy to watch. And um, when they have players like that, and they've got lots of them, Ajeko played well too, uh, they're going to come really close to winning the title I wouldn't see I, re, I really don't see anything to be concerned about in that performance they're, they're going through the gears they're not peak power yet but they're they are star sprinkled Gab I have a question for you Barcelona are set to have a hearing at FIFA HQ on Tuesday over their transfer ban for signing underage players the ban won't actually be upheld with it I think it will be upheld, uh, Alison, because uh, Barcelona are, are just so guilty and in the wrong in their defenses. Yeah, these guys are underage, but we take good care of them. Um, I don't think that, that'll fly. I think the risk from FIFA's perspective is that they allow Barcelona to get away with it. Um, what's to stop uh, a team, say, in Russia from you know, signing 100 Brazilians and putting them in a box and waiting for them to grow into footballers? Absolutely absurd. What I think will happen, though, is it's going to be a winter session, and so yeah, it's not going to be that damaging to Barca. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you to my guests today, Alison Rudd and James Gocroft. Check out thetimes.co.uk. Members get exclusive football, rugby, cricket, Syed, highlights free as part of your subscription. Not a member yet? Take our one-pound digital trial today. Just search Times for Online. Same time, same place next week. Bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns, so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. 